0: to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Would you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 and stand as we show honor to the word of the Lord. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and despite that shame, and is seated on the right hand of God. I was aware in preparing the sermon as we continue our study verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, and we've been doing... Uh, sections of verses and paragraphs together and this week we're only looking at two verses Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 and as I was preparing I was made aware that that's way too much for one Sunday morning so I I feel like I I put the notes together and went through and then just started subtracting things out so that you might not miss lunch today Uh, so if things feel a little bit disconnected it's uh, my great love for you and desire that you be fed so uh, the Bible talks in several different ways about Christians, about followers of Jesus Christ. There, there's different analogies and uh, turns of phrase that are used to describe our life. One is a soldier in war, a soldier uh, commissioned on behalf of God, who is not in a time of peace, but in conflict with the world around him. And therefore, Ephesians chapter 6 says that we are to put on the full armor of God. Another but, but strikingly different analogy used of the Christian life is an infant or a child growing into maturity. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, there's sort of agricultural analogies that are used. So you, you see these specifically in uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, as it, it's illustrated as a farmer who goes out to sow seed. Uh, you see in different places where we're described as slaves. In fact, Paul in Galatians chapter 6 verse 17 even says that he, Paul, bears the marks, bears the brand of being a slave of Christ. Paul especially uh, deviates from some of the analogies that Jesus and his disciples use, which is basically a rural and agricultural society. Well, Paul was a Roman citizen And so uh, we find different analogies in Paul, and one that he uses a lot is athletics. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 describes our our Christian life and even spiritual warfare uh, with the analogy of wrestling, that we are wrestling against something. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 26, Paul describes it like a boxing match. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7, he says, I'm fighting a good now, I, as a good little Mennonite boy that I grew up in the Mennonite church, uh, we would have a bit of trouble with those, but Paul didn't seem to have that same trouble. <laughs> he also uses the analogy quite a bit of running the race. Uh, again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says uh, that the runner does whatever is necessary to win the prize. Paul describes of himself in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, he says, I don't run aimlessly. As God has called me to run, I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not going jogging down the road, which made me think of my illustrious junior high cross-country career. I don't know if you are familiar with the glories of my uh, year and a half. I, I basically got into the second half of the second season and said, what am I doing? I'll share a scripture that pertains to that in a little bit. But there was fierce competition, and, and here's what the competition was for, not to come in last. I, I had one other young uh, gentleman such as myself who was, I, I like to think of it as runningly challenged, and uh, we would battle to not be last, only there was one particular invitational at a school that was not our own where we fell behind. And I fell really behind. Rusty, you're going to love this analogy. Uh, In fact, all the other runners disappeared. Now, if we're going to start drawing comparisons to the body of Christ, how important is fellowship? How important is it for us to be surrounded by other brothers and sisters in the moments where we get separated and, like I did, lost sight of the finish line? In fact, I lost sight of everyone who was headed towards the finish line, and I was alone in a woods and lost, this is a race that should have taken between 13 and 14 minutes, and at the 45-minute mark, they sent out a search party. I'm not making this up. Here's what I learned. Here's the life lesson that can be taken from that. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1 says, The wicked run when no one is chasing them, but the godly are bold as lions. Ain't nobody chasing me. I'm not running. <laughs> so the writer to the Hebrew people, that, that's the title of this book, that written to the Hebrew people, is going to shift. He, he's been making an argument for 11 chapters that Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme over all of the old covenant that has come before every priest and every sacrifice. Jesus is hes not only greater than them, he's what all of them were pointing to. Every priest, every sacrifice, every keeping of the law was pointing to Jesus. And now he's going to shift from teaching to application and say, so this is what this has to do with your life. This is your response, Christian, to that truth of who Jesus is. And so if you look in your Bibles at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, look at that very first word. He says, therefore. We only... And always read the Bible in context. We are never given liberty to pick and choose different words or phrases or even verses from the Bible and apply them to our way of thinking as if we are bolstering a case for ourselves. No, we look at what the scripture says and then we rightly orient our hearts to God's word. We submit ourselves underneath God's Word. So this is uh, sort of an old axiom of the church, but if you haven't heard it before, it is so important. When you see a therefore, come on, help me out, find out what it's there for. So Paul has, or not Paul, Paul didn't write the book of Hebrews. We're not told who wrote it, uh, but I don't think evident the evidence points to Paul, Uh, whoever wrote this has been making this argument about who Jesus is and what that means for our life, what the old covenant was pointing to. And we should look back when he says, therefore, because of all that we've just said, now he's going to give an application to your life and to mine. By the way, the the chapter and verse designations in your Bible uh, are not original to the text. They're not inspired by God. God didn't inspire the writer of this book of Hebrews to go, okay, now write chapter 12 and put verse 1. Those were added sometime later so that we might be able to navigate our way through the scriptures a little better. In fact, if you look at this, that may be a terrible place to break this chapter because there is a clear tie back to chapter 11. If you've been here the last two weeks, we've been talking about all of these great heroes of the faith that came before. It would have been so important to the Hebrew people to anchor their faith in these great heroes of the faith. These saints that have come before. And he says, therefore, in light of their life, in light of their faith. In fact, look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, here's where we get into trouble with this. In talking about running and then being surrounded by witnesses, our brains do the wrong thing with this. We picture a big stadium with people coming to witness, coming, it basically come and see what I'm doing. As if all of the, the saints who have gone before are uh, bored with heaven and therefore watching earth. There's no evidence of this in scripture. And just waiting to see what I'm going to do. That's the wrong kind of witness. The word witness here is actually the word martyr, which doesn't mean that they died for their faith. It means that they testified to something. And in fact, those who were Christians in the early church testified so frequently to salvation in Christ alone that it cost them their life. And therefore, we started associating the word martyr or one who tells something, bears witness to something with one who dies for something. How appropriate when we think about Memorial Day, and those who have died have given their lives for a cause bigger than themselves. That cloud of witnesses is not witnessing what we are doing. They are testifying to us of what God can do in their life and in your life. They are not watching or cheering us on, but instead testifying even with their life, the story of their life, that God is faithful. God can be trusted. God keeps his promises. So don't think spectators in a stadium, uh, and for some of you, this analogy may not work, but I'm going to tell you why it does for me. Uh, Think baseball cards of the greats who have come before. Now, I'm going to do something that I rarely do, and that is say I disagree with Albert Moeller on this one. Yeah, I know. Some of you are shocked and thinking of leaving the church right now. (laughs) He specifically, in his commentary, said don't think about baseball cards, uh, and I think it's because uh, my brother and I were weirdos when we were kids. Uh, We grew up loving baseball, uh, loving the game, and so uh, while some of you were intelligent and recognized this as an investment to be uh, safeguarded, we took our baseball cards and then we pinned them to the wall with little push pins, and mom and dad didn't stop us. (laughs) They weren't unattainable saints to us. They were daily inspirations that we would imitate in our backyard. Their lives testified to us that if it's possible for a little seven-year-old boy who's sent to St. Mary's Industrial Reform School to become the great Bambino, it might just be possible for us. And so guys like Ryan Sandberg were pinned to the wall as we imitated his golden glove. You're welcome, Carrie, for mentioning that. Ricky Henderson's stolen base got mentioned every time we stole a base. Nolan Ryan's knuckleball was why we practiced throwing a knuckleball in the backyard. Pete Rose, AKA Charlie Hustle, some of you are like, who are these people? And I'm just going to say, you need to do better. (laughs) Pete Rose, who was known as Charlie Hustle, who just went for it on every occasion. Inspired every head first slide that we did, no matter where we were. And Dad, you'll love this one. Joe Morgan and his elbow pumping when he was at bat happened in every wiffle ball game we had in our backyard. Because they testified it's possible. They testified if you work hard, this is where you can end up. Except, Christian, that's where the analogy falls apart for us. See, the saints of old who have come before your Friends and family who have died in faith don't say, if you work hard, you can attain heaven. No, they actually testify that Christ alone is able to save. All these heroes of the faith in chapter 11 testify with what the Apostle Paul would also say, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't just follow me. Don't just be behind what we're doing because we play on the same team. No, only as we follow Christ should you imitate their lives. Now, some of you should rightly be asking the question, wait, how can Old Testament say, follow me as I follow Christ? Didn't they live before Jesus? How is it possible that they were following Christ? Weren't they saved in the Old Covenant by keeping the law, by offering the sacrifices? Isn't that what made them holy? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. It's the verses right before what we're reading today, which is why I say I think chapter 12 is badly timed here. Say this, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Oh, let that sink in for just a moment. All of the promises of God that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus, for everyone in the Old Testament, they only saw it as incomplete, not fulfilled. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, They should not be made perfect. In other words, there are no two paths to salvation. There isn't salvation in an old covenant path where if you keep the law and you offer the sacrifices that you can be acceptable before God. But in the New Testament, we trust in Christ. No, he makes the argument there is no salvation apart from the same salvation that we have. We are actually one with them in faith in Jesus. We are looking backwards in faith and they were looking forwards in faith, but it is all Christ alone. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Why? Because the righteous will live by faith. That is the outcome of God's saving work in someone's life is they will live by faith. They were not saved, uh, the Old Testament saints, apart from us, in a different way from us. Why? How is that possible? How is it possible that it's not two different covenantal systems? And here's the answer. We've been saying it the entire book of Hebrews. What did all of the Old Testament, what did all of the Old Covenant point to? How is it perfectly and eternally fulfilled in Christ? Amen? And so God can make eternal promises to his Jewish people in the Old Testament, specifically at Passover, and say, you will keep this as a tradition Forever. This is an eternal covenant and in Christ it is eternal. Every time the church gathers at the table of the Lord and lifts up the body and lifts up the blood in the bread and the cup, oh, we are reminded this is an eternal reminder of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he says, back in chapter 12, verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. Here comes the application. If this is true of Jesus, let's lay everything else aside. We're using the analogy of running here. Don't put on all the encumbrances and then expect that you're going to have a successful running career. So Rusty has been a ridiculous cross-country coach. Uh, I'm surprised he still has any voice today because I've heard the way that he would scream at players from the other side and usually run and keep up with them. And yet, here's what I guarantee, Rusty, you never saw. Uh, Right before the the big race, no matter what the temperature was, nobody puts on the heavy coat, and then the hat and the gloves, and maybe nice boots or something like that. You know, I'm going to be nice and warm and cozy for this run. Uh, That would be a failure, except how many Christians do that exact thing when it comes to their Christian life? Oh, God has saved them. God has called them and equipped them. He's filled them with His Holy Spirit. And what do we do? We wrap everything else around our life that hinders, that encumbers us, that weighs us down, and then we look around and we go, why has God not been faithful? Why is this life so difficult? And the answer is because we wrapped all that other stuff around us. He describes it as a weight. Now, weights can be good or bad. That that doesn't necessarily uh, imply something sinful. They can be good things that keep you from the best thing. If it is winter and you are running and you put a coat on, that's a good thing. Amen? Might it keep you from the best thing of winning the prize? Absolutely. Again, that's why running is ridiculous. (laughs) So the Apostle Paul is a Roman citizen. But being a Jew as well, he's going to make many analogies in his teaching of things like uh, the Roman military or the Greek athletic games. It, and you, you're going to see this. It, uh, obviously, Paul had an influence on whoever wrote the book of Hebrews because what he points to in this is the Greek athletic culture of the Olympics. The, the highest ideal in Greek culture, was the perfection of the human form. And athletes uh, so often had the most honed bodies. And, and so the human form, even in its nakedness, is uh, looked at in Greek culture as being the ideal. So you see this in Greek art that endures to today. Uh, statues that, you know, you take your kids, and you're like, all right, cover your eyes, junior. <laughs> um, you also saw it in their athletics. So here, here's, here's what we see Strip off everything good and bad. Strip off everything sinful that you might have the best, which is Christ himself. Only he says this into a really specific culture. So if I say the Olympics to you, how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah, Uh, we've only had a revival of the Olympics as we know them today for uh, about the last hundred years. When the book of Hebrews was written, uh, this Greek culture of Olympic athletes uh, was about 700 years old. All right, So that's twice as long as our country has been a nation. Twice as long. And within that, remember, the highest ideal was the perfect human form. And so if we're going to display that uh, for 700 years, look at the person next to you and say 700 years. For 700 years, uh, these sports, such as running, were done sans clothing, naked, which is one thing. Wrestling was done naked, gross, (laughs) like just awful. Uh, Gymnastics was done. Naked. So let me just blow your mind for just a second. I couldn't believe this when I discovered this this week. Uh, Anybody want to guess what the Greek word for naked is? (laughs) Gymnos. So just consider this with the gymnasium at school. Uh, the, The The word gymnos is actually the Greek word uh, for having no clothing or being naked. And so they they attached this because this was the Greek idea of athletics. They attached it to building these great buildings of gymnasiums, naked rooms for exercise. Think of that. Every time somebody goes, I'm going to go to the gym, they literally just said, I'm going to go to the naked. It gets worse. Now now consider the word gymnastics, right? Whatever kind of naked exercise, I'm, not, I'm just done with that, right? We're going to just stop. Here's what I want you to think about. This was a 700-year tradition that every single hearer or reader of this would have understood, understood. And so he very clearly says to them, the Christian life, the Christian race should be run naked, That's what he says. Now we miss it in our English translation. And because as bad as I think the Olympics is getting, we're still doing pretty good. (laughs) Right? Right. So when the Olympics rolls around and it's all kind of confusion and nastiness, just be like, yeah, we're still doing better than those guys were. And yet he says in that culture, let us lay aside everything. If we're going to run, you have to strip off everything, all the good things all the bad things, all the sinful things, everything that clings so closely and let us run. Did you hear again the plural in there? This isn't just one person out running by themselves. There is a corporate nature to our running together. Run the race that has been set before us. Friends, listen to me. The Bible knows nothing of a so-called follower of Christ who is not interdependent on fellowship with brothers and sisters. I'm going to say that one more time, because this is actually a foreign idea in our modern, independent Western culture. The Bible knows nothing of a so-called follower of Christ who's not interdependent on fellow brothers and sisters. In other words, we're not reflecting biblical Christianity when we say, I don't need you to be part of my spiritual walk. I don't need you to be an encouragement to me. I don't need you to be a correction to me. We need each other. Now, consider the analogy he's making about running and stripping off everything. There is no room. If we're called to run this race together, there is absolutely no room for hiding anything if you're running naked. <laughs> you, can't, you can't cover things up. You, you can't lie on a Sunday morning about how you're doing. Oh, brother, oh, sister, how are you doing this morning? Really good. You know, it's been a rough week, but, you know, God's faithful. We're getting through it. There's no room for that when everything is laid bare. Now, let me just put a little parenthesis in here. Uh, The the Christians who received this, the Jewish people of this time, had a deep moral objection, as should we, uh, to actually running naked. All right? Uh, But that's exactly what the writer is doing. He's using a really stark distinction and says... Following Jesus should be this ridiculous. It should mark you out this much that we are laying aside everything. Everything, even if a, it's a good thing, but it becomes a distracting thing. Every sin that wants to cling and become our little pet object in our heart, we're laying all of that aside. There is no room for hiding in the Christian life because that's the only way we're going to run with endurance. So I I have a a slide for this. In July 4, 1952, there was a female swimmer named Florence Chadwick. Uh, She was known around the world for being a just sort of ridiculous women's long-distance swimmer. And on July 4th, she gets into the waters of the Pacific Ocean just off the Catalina Islands and is planning to swim 26 miles to the shore of California. Only... I don't know if you've ever been in the Pacific Ocean. It doesn't matter that it's the 4th of July. The water's freezing. The water's cold. And as she gets in early in the morning, there's a heavy fog that has settled on it. Now she's in the water, and there's boats, like you can see the boat there, that were surrounding her. Uh, They were there for two purposes. Uh, There was a series of boats that were there. Uh, They were there to make sure that they kept track of her, that she didn't get lost at sea. And you'll love this one, to fight off the sharks that would want to come and swim by her. Right? Good to have fellowship. Amen? So she gets in the water to swim 26 miles. Uh, She has already swam the English Channel. She was the first woman to do it. This is crazy. Uh, She swam the English Channel and when she got to the other side, she stood up, stretched, got back in the water and swam back. She did did two back-to-back. Only this morning she has Uh, three distinct things going on the water's cold there's sharks in the water that would have been enough for me let's be honest right that was the end of the story but here was here was the bad one the fog meant she could barely see the boats that were with her and she couldn't see the shoreline at all she could not see where she was going and still she swam for 15 hours with fog so dense that she kept losing sight of the boats that were with her, and she would call out. Her mom was sort of her coach and tag-along in all these adventures, and she begins calling out, I can't do it, I can't do it. And her mom comes alongside in the boat, tells her that she's close, tells her that she can make it, only finally she's physically, she's emotionally exhausted. I'm just tired, I'm just done. Anybody ever felt like that before? So she stops swimming and is pulled out of the water. Only it's not until she's out of the water and in the boat that the fog clears a little bit and they can see they are right near shore. It was less than half a mile away. Uh, Literally, it would have been uh, a brief walk to get there. At a news conference the next day, she's world known for her long-distance swimming, and now she gave up at the last minute. Here's what she said. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I could have made it. Oh, weary Christian, how many of you have seen nothing but fog for months and months? How many of you, even for years, have seen nothing but fog? And the truth is, it has blinded your eyes to the fellowship of brothers and sisters who should be encouragements, who should be uh, those who witness along the way, God is faithful, keep going. How many of you, that fog has blinded you from seeing the finish line? Oh Christ, who stands victorious, waiting for you. By the way, two months later, she tried it again. And the conditions were exactly the same. Cold water, sharks, and a thick fog. Only in between that time, she'd spent a lot of time looking at the shoreline. And she said, I kept that picture of the goal the whole time. And she made it. Paul the Apostle is going to say the exact same thing in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul knew where he was going. Even Paul, who describes his race, his walk, his ministry as just beatings and shipwreck and hardship after hardship, he knew the direction he was heading. He knew he was moving heavenward. As a runner sets his eye on the finish line, so Paul set his eyes on Christ, on the kingdom of God, which cannot be shaken, and ultimately upon heaven. And so we hear his words in Colossians chapter 3, Verses 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. He, He testifies, this has been true in my life, and it's true for yours. Since you have been raised with Christ, O Christian, set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You know what happens when we set our mind on earthly things? When we set our heart on earthly things, we are lost in the fog, and there is no hope. Oh, weary Christian lift your eyes. So the writer of the Hebrews says so. Let's run with endurance the race set before us. So talking about running and racing, uh, people fall into one of two camps. They either love running or they hate it. You either you either think it's terrible or you're crazy. for those of you who think it's terrible, let me give you a small Greek gift. Uh, And that is, uh, I want to share with you the word for race that is used here in the Greek. Not because I I think you benefit a lot from knowing Greek. Uh, You can, if you want to dive into original languages, that's good. But because you're going to recognize this word. The, The Greek word for race is agona, from which we get the word agony. It's literally the, the Greek word for race or contest or figuratively going through some effort or anxiety that is difficult. And it got you so much that we're like, this is terrible. And now we just call agony like the race. It fascinates me. Just delightful. Uh, but I have bad news for you. That's how the writer of the Hebrews describes your life. That's how he describes your Christian walk. Long, painful, agonizing race. In other words, the TV and TV preachers have systematically lied to you. (laughs) This world is not about your happiness. It is not about uh, your self-worth, your self-value being affirmed and recognized. It's not about having friends who recognize all, all the gifts and callings that you have and just love you for it and accept you for who you are. It's not about health and security or safety Because Jesus says, John chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me, not in this world, not in friends or job or health or security, in me, in Christ alone, you may have peace. And Then he says, because in this world you will have trouble. Oh, but to his own, he says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. That is this race. That is this life. That is this... Agony, but I love the words that are in here. In fact, if you feel like your life, your race has been agony, do not miss these next words. In fact, look down in your Bible in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Oh, let us lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is, say it with me, set before us. Oh, those words are huge in defining how we exist in the midst of dark times. Who set these days before us? Who set this race before you? Oh, the answer is the God who knows you and loves you enough to not give you what you want. Consider for a moment, how often we have accused God of wrongdoing by saying, God, if you loved me, you would not have given me this hardship. You would not have given me this trial to walk through. And our sovereign God, who is the example of every father, says, I have given it to you that you might be better shaped into the image of Christ. and Not after your own likeness of what you would choose. The directive here in this passage is not to look to all the things that we have wrongly used to define us, to bring us happiness, even to the people that God has given us as these examples, these great cloud of witnesses in our life. Not to look to those heroes, not to look to the saints that have come before. And by the way, Hebrews chapter 11 is an amazing list of saints, only you probably have them in your life as well. People that God has used, whether it's family or maybe a mentor in your life, maybe a pastor from your childhood that God used to shape you, to mold you and how you think about the kingdom of God and salvation in Christ alone. Only the encouragement after this giant list of heroes is not to look to them, but to look to Christ. Oh, we have this Shining example of what it looks like to live a life of faith. And then he doesn't say, so imitate their example. He knows immediately in verse 2, look at it in your Bible. He says, look to Jesus. Don't look to the saints who came before. We're grateful for their example. We're grateful for their lives that testify. But we look to Christ. Oh, but the human tendency is not to do that. We look to people to define us to people, to surround us, to encourage us. And if I don't have them, I can't keep going. And that's why it was so easy in the early 300s when the Roman Empire adopted in Christianity and started to syncretize or put together Roman paganism and this new Christianity, that many of the Roman gods actually became Christian saints. John Calvin, in his book, A Treaty on Relics, says this, uh, Hero worship is innate to human nature, and it is founded on some of our noblest feelings, gratitude, love, and admiration, but which, like all other feelings, when uncontrolled by principle and reason, may easily denigrate into the wildest exaggerations and lead to the most dangerous consequences." He goes on to point out how this transition happened within the church. And in his footnotes, he gives some examples. He says, Thus, St. Anthony of Padua restores, just like the god Mercury did, stolen property. St. Hubert, just like the goddess Diana, is the patron saint of sportsmen. St. Cosmas, like Ascapulus, is the patron saint of physicians and on. And on. In fact, almost every profession and every trade in most places now have their own patron saint. Why? Because we have elevated them to demigod status. Only we find that nowhere in Hebrews 12 or the rest of the Bible. Spiritual heroes in the Bible, leaders, even martyrs were held in high regard and yet portrayed with sin and fault. Oh, as heroes of the faith with feet of clay. And the universal cry, the Old Testament and the New Testament, Old Testament by foreshadowing, the New Testament explicitly look to Jesus. Don't look to any man or woman who has come before. Look to Christ alone. Verse 2 describes him as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Oh, no saint can claim that. No hero of the faith can claim that. Even uh, that cherished grandmother or grandfather that has gone before, who faithfully prayed for you and lived an example, can never claim to be the author and the finisher, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Only Christ alone is the foundation of His church that is His body, given for our good and His glory. Only Christ alone can begin a good work in you, which is what Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says. Uh, The New American Standard says uh, the one who began the good work will perfect it. It's the exact same Greek word that we find here in Hebrews chapter 12. The NIV says he'll begin it and he'll carry it on. The ESV says he'll bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God alone is the author of salvation. He alone begins the work and completes it. And Therefore, the Apostle Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Oh, Christian, we are to run with all the energy that we have, the race set before us, recognizing that Christ has already won the race. That's why we can look to faithful brothers and sisters like Dave and Wilma this morning who served and gave them themselves even imperfectly but knowing that the righteousness of Christ has been put upon them that one day they will stand before God and he will see only the righteousness of Christ and say well done good and faithful servant. Enter into this rest. You are not the founder of your faith. Your hard work and your merit cannot save you. It is Christ. Alone. There's two brothers living in the 1700s named John and Charles Wesley who were striving as young men to find what it takes to be accepted before God. What it, what it takes to have a thriving relationship with God. And so they, they start this society where they're, they're basically just uh, fasting about four days out of the seven days per week. And when that didn't work, they started upping that until it started affecting their health negatively. Uh, They would cut things out of their life. I'm not going to do this. Every moment, we want to dedicate to pursuing God that through our hard work, we might come up with a method to reach God. Which, by the way, that's why their followers were then called Methodists. Only. I don't, I don't have time to, I wish I could tell you all the stories associated with this, but uh, Charles Wesley, who was the hymn writer, many of his hymns endure and are sung by the church today. In wrestling with this idea of salvation being a work of Christ and not God's response to all of our pious hard work, came upon Luther's statement. He's reading Luther's uh, commentary on Galatians. And here's what Luther said. What? Have we nothing to do? No. Nothing, but only except of him who of God is made to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And on that Sunday morning, May 21st, 1738, Charles Wesley trusted solely in Christ and not in his earthly method and entered into an assurance of salvation. Oh, his brother John would have a similar experience. Again, uh, hearing some of Luther's words and described it as someone who had pursued God and suddenly his heart is strangely warmed. Overcome with joy, Charles that morning sits down and pens a hymn. Perhaps his greatest hymn to commemorate that occasion. After years of being lost in the fog of trying to find God and Christ breaks through and he pens these words And can it be that I would gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Oh, why would he take interest in me? Why would he notice me when all of my hard work has fallen short? Christian, listen, it is the grace of God in your life. That's the same grace that called Charles Wesley 300 years ago. It's the same grace that calls you this morning. Friend, Christ has finished the work. And He did it for the joy that was set before Him. For that joy, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, He endured the cross. Or you may think the race of this life is agony, but if we're considering words, consider the word excruciating. Because there was no word to describe the torture and torment of execution on a Roman cross. So they made one up. In fact, they took two Latin words, the word for extreme, x, ex, so extreme, when we talk about something be over the top today, it's built on the, the Latin word ex, and crucifix or cross, excruciating, extreme cross is literally what that word means, to describe the prolonged, unimaginable suffering that the Romans created to torture their prisoners before they died, and they stretched it out as long as they could. The story of Christ most of us are familiar with where he is crucified and dies within the same day was not a normal thing to happen for crucifixion. Often it lasted for days, even up to a week as you hung naked, fully exposed. So every representation you've seen of Christ where he is girded with some sort of a loincloth is for dignity, which I think is appropriate when we fallen sinners consider the greatness and the humility of of our God on our behalf. And yet it was so overwhelming, so painful, what Christ endured. But listen, that was the tip of the iceberg because many others were also beaten and crucified. This was very common. In fact, at times of insurrection, they would round up everyone who was a part of it, and they would line the mile coming into that city with cross after cross after cross of dead or dying criminals to say, you'd better not do this. Crucifixion was normal in that day. So what makes Jesus different? Why was he crucified? Because he was the completion, the perfection of everything that the old covenant had pointed to. All of God's promises of salvation, of redemption for his people. Christ, the perfect propitiation or diversion, satisfaction of the wrath of God. So not only was he beaten and put upon a cross for the sake of your salvation, to pay for your sins, but simultaneously, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, God the Father laid on him the sin and iniquity of us all the eternal punishment for every one of the elect who would ever live past or present or future was combined and beaten into his bleeding brow. And he bore all for you, and it's described here, for the joy set before him. So keep running. When your life feels lost in the fog and painful and agony, keep running as Christ did for the joy set before him. Hear the command of Scripture. This isn't a suggestion for good Christians. This is the command for all people. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Again, we'll just close with Paul's words in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Worship team, if you would come and join me, I want to call us to a moment of reflection. For some of you, it took most of the strength that you had to drag yourself out of bed this morning and show up to church. And I'm just going to be really honest. For some of you who are joining us on live stream, you didn't even get that far. There's all kinds of reasons why, and we're grateful for the technology to do the live stream. But let's be really honest, whether you're in the room or watching at home, sometimes we have so completely come to the end of our strength that we say, I think I'm done. I think, I think I've run out of hope. And strength for tomorrow. And I would challenge you in this moment. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Whose faithfulness, whose power is testified in the life, in the faithfulness of every saint that has come before. Every grandmother who prayed you into the kingdom on her knees. Everyone who has, uh, as a martyr for the gospel, laid down their life and said Jesus is worth it, hear their testimony, to perse- persevere and endure. I want to challenge you as families to take some time today. In fact, if you have not been doing this, I-, I would say this is an important one to do with your children. How many of you would you like to see your children endure in the faith? Would like to see them look unto Christ and be saved? Oh. We need to call them, parents, grandparents, to this. Talk through some of these things. Of, in fact, uh, if you go to the Facebook page, uh, you can find it listed on there. What are some of the ways that Christian life is like running a race? Like wrestling, like boxing, like all those uh, illustrations that he uses, like being a soldier or like growing up. Help them see how in the Christian life we go through phases of maturity. And then talk about what are some of the heroes of the faith that we have in our family. And it may be saints of old, and it may be a grandparent who inspired you. It may be uh, someone who grabbed onto you when you were a young man or you were a young woman and poured God's love and word into you. Then talk about together how can fixing our eyes on Jesus and remembering what he has done help us keep running this race of life that God has set before us. And then praying and asking God to help you see the things that you need to lay aside. What are the distractions that right now, if you're going to keep running, something's got to go? I can't run like this anymore. What we usually say is I can't go any further. What we should say is I've been doing this all wrong. What do you need to lay aside? What's distracting you? Oh, and God, help us look to Jesus alone. Not to other things, not to other people, but Christ alone. And as we consider responding to this scripture, I want to ask you the question where are you lost in the fog? Where have you felt in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, in your walk with the Lord, in your job, in your family? Where have you felt so lost in the fog? That you've contemplated giving up. I want to challenge you to two things in that. Number one, look to Christ. I don't say that in some spiritual cliche look to Jesus and everything's going to be fine. I mean, seriously, strip off everything else and run naked towards the cross. If it means that this week you shut off your cable subscription, praise God. If it means this week you throw your computer out the window because uh, as the eye that has caused you to sin, you need to pluck it out, praise God. Whatever is needed, strip it off. and Do that in community. Do it with other brothers and sisters who are right there with you. Who You're not hiding anything from them. You are walking in accountability that you might run towards the finish line in Christ together. Let's stand together. And I want us to stand for just a moment and allow God to do just that for us. See, I can say those words, but if it isn't the Holy Spirit convicting our heart, the Holy Spirit giving us the ability to repent and turn from sin and trust in Christ, they are empty words and you'll go home the same as you showed up this morning. Oh, I beg you not to do that and let us together beg the Holy Spirit by His power to work in our hearts. So in just a minute, we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to take up the offering. There's boxes at the front or the back. Uh, you can put your offering in them as we sing. But right now, seriously, don't leave this room. Don't waste this opportunity of hearing the call from Scripture to endure and run the race set before you. Don't throw that away and walk out with your head down. Lift your eyes to the finish line where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right now, just bow your heads with me. God, I pray in this moment, show us what we have wrapped around us that is keeping us from running this race. Where it's sin, let us cast it off and put it to death. Where it's distractions, God, let us throw those aside. Not run as one who runs aimlessly We might strive for the prize that's set before us. Just for a minute, I want you to just stand there. Have that conversation with the Lord. Thanks for joining our online service. We pray it was a blessing to you. We are grateful for these resources God has provided, especially in this time of pandemic and separation. If you'd like to find out more about EWC and give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.